Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is Perak Zion of Sefer Mishlei, Chapter 7 of the Book of Mishlei. And it starts with the first Pasuk that says, B'ni Shemor Amarai Umitzvotai Titzponitach, Keep My Words and Guard My Commandments With You. Today we are going to use Rashi, but Rashi is in Mishlei, and elsewhere in Navi, a fairly minimal commentator. There will be a few interesting comments that he makes, but we'll also supplement that with the Malvim. And the Malbim on Shemor Mitzvotai Vechyei says that mitzvot are the things Yase Otam Adam Vachai That's where the Pasuk describes them. So that's why it says Shemor Mitzvotai Vechyei Mitzvotai Ditbonitach But guard my mitzvot with you. The Malbim says And so you should guard that with you all the time so that you don't get blinded, he says. And you have the way um, to go, and you know the path that you're supposed to take in life, and that is what will light the way with you. Guard it like Rashi says, like the pupil of your eye, which people guard because it's very sensitive. So that is what's going on here for the Malbim. It's because it's supposed to be a way to evaluate the way forward in life and the way to go in life. And that's a, an idea that I'm not sure we always keep in mind. You might think of the Torah as a thing that gives us halachos and certain mitzvos and certain ideas that we should do, certain rituals that we as Jews follows, follow, certain prohibitions we refrain from. But that's not what the Malbim is understanding it to be. It's really much more of a broad perspective on how one lives in all sorts of areas. So that gets into a question that I've heard people raise. The question of this is, some people say, well, if it's not also, then it must be allowed. If it's not prohibited by the Torah, it must be allowed. And other people say, well, if it's not permitted by the Torah, it must be prohibited. And I think neither one is correct. I think the Bible is pointing out that the Torah provides a framework within which to evaluate kinds of questions that many people refuse to ask. But that's for a different time when I'm not talking, the Malbim I'm talking about for me. So that's a different situation. Pasuk Gimel. Tie them onto your fingers and write them in your heart. The Malbim says that every action that you do with your fingers should be by virtue of Torah, and then write them on your heart, and then all of the thoughts that you have in your heart should follow the paths of wisdom. And he says, why is it your heart? It's your heart, because we think of the heart as the aspect that rules over our souls, and that's where the wisdom comes from. So that's a metaphor that we today would think is wrong in some sense, because we would say that, no, it's your intellect, which is we think of as being located in your mind. I would just note here and elsewhere that it's interesting to me that that's not what Tanakh does. Now, you, we could say that's because they misunderstood the way the body works and they thought the heart was really the seat of all these things. They thought that thought and emotions was actually located in the heart. Could be. Or it could be that there's something more interesting going on in terms of the question of, it's certainly true that the brain is in the, and is in the skull and thinking in that technical sense is in the skull. But if we believe in an immortal soul and an unembodied soul or a disembodied soul, it might be that the heart has more to do with it than just pumping the blood. There might be some more of an interaction there. But that's discussion, again, for another time. In any case, would mean that you should make sure that your heart always follows the paths of Chochmah, that it's following and thinking about how the Torah wants us to do this. And that is a form of training that I'm not sure we even remember to aspire towards, that when we pick an action, any action, we're supposed to be guiding it by Torah ideas and ideals, and that's the Chachma that we're supposed to be carrying with us, written on the tablets of our hearts. Pasuk Dalet Emor LaChachma Achotiat Umodal LaBinatikra Call wisdom your sister and and Bina deeper insight. 
call it a, a good friend, a close friend. Malbim interestingly points out the difference between a sister and a close friend is that a sister you are related to, you are born with the genetic connection to a sister, whereas a moda, a fellow, a colleague, somebody you want to befriend, um, is is not, he says. Now, interestingly, the JPS translated uh, says moda labina calls it a kinswoman, but the Malbim thinks kin here doesn't mean actual kin, it means somebody you develop a good relationship with, and he says that's because we're born with the tools of wisdom, of Chochmah, but the tools of Bina, which we've repeatedly noted, is a higher form of insight and understanding that you're not, that you have to develop on your own, or by developing that connection, and that's why it's referred to as a moda. So, that's a perspective, first of all, it's an interesting reading of the Psukim, and then it's a perspective on the difference between wisdom which is natural. The ability to acquire knowledge and acquire understanding of that knowledge seems to be natural, according to the Malbim, but the ability to go further than that is a learned skill and something that we have to develop and be worried about developing and always be sure and wonder whether we've developed it as fully as we could and move more and more into that direction. In all of this, this will help you avoid a strange woman, a, a foreign woman who uh, speaks uh, smoothly. This will be another opportunity, as we saw at the very end of the previous chapter, another opportunity to think about what Mishle means by recommending and urging and dwelling on the need to resist these foreign women. So we, we saw in the Ralbag last chapter that he had just taken it almost literally about foreign women, about wrong women, about wrongful sexuality. The Malbim will not do that. The Malbim says that we're talking here, as does Rashi later on, that we're talking here about uh, heresy, apikorsut, avodazar, idol worship, all sorts of wrongful indulgences and wrongful activities. Um, and the Malbim, when he transfers that, notes that there's different Zara, who is for, strange to you, but might be Jewish, might be part of your nation, whereas a Nochriya is necessarily not part of your nation. And he says, and that's true within various wisdoms that are not Torah wisdoms as well. There are wisdoms that are Ishod Zarot, Nashim Zarot, they are foreign to you, they are not yours, and therefore you can't make use of them fully, but there might be a way to make some use of them. So he says those kinds of things maybe you can incorporate into a Torah lifestyle if you do it the right way. But in Nochriyah is ideas of heresy and idol worship, which are completely foreign to Torah, and those you can't use at all, even though they speak nicely, and he said, Behekeshim Philosophim, with philosophical uh, ways of speaking, they sound sophisticated, they sound like the thing that obviously she want to be part of. He says, not true. He says, there are things that are not So this process for the Malbim is dividing up the realms of the intellectual disciplines into those which you have to be careful about because they're not yours, but you might be able to make some use of, as opposed to those that are completely foreign, which you have to reject fully and totally. We're going to spend a while now with Mishle putting words into the mouth of this foreign woman and the ways in which she tries to encourage the hero of our story who's being warned against her to come and join her. So he says, so she says, in the, my window, I've looked out my eshnabs, the, uh, JPS says through my lattice. The Malbim says that in the window you see the open things, whereas through an eshnab, through a lattice, all you see are, you see are the hidden things. And so there are, Two elements here to the ways in which she's saying she's going to reveal herself or see you. And I see Pitaim are people who have not learned enough or who are too ready to give in to their appetites. And I look at Banim Na'ar Chaser the sons who are lacking in 
heart lacking in understanding. Rashi, uh, the Malbim says, Pita'im are those who are, don't have the wisdom or the insight or the intelligence to hide their actions. And Banash Nav, I see the Banim, who are not so Pita'im, they're not so foolish, and they hide their actions, but I see through the last what they do, that they're really not ours, and they don't have the power to hold themselves back from their desires. There's a lack of self-discipline, and that lack of self-discipline is going to be a first crucial step in being lured by this woman, by this foreignness, by this wrongful action. And then they pass by through the marketplace, at, by their corner, and by their house they tread, they trod. Rashi says now, gives us an understanding, it's a corner of harlotry and of idol worship. Rashi, therefore, is clearly taking it, not, not literally, but he's also hinting, I think, that, and this may be part of what Mishle was thinking about it too, that in, at least in the times of Tanakh, and maybe later times also, the connection between harlotry, or between sexuality, and wrongful religiosity, or wrongful idolatry, was much closer than it was now. Very often, wrongful forms of religion also adopted forms of sexuality that were antithetical to what Judaism believed and Judaism understood, and that might be another reason why the Torah focuses so much on this wrongful sexuality. So here too, that's what Rashi thinks about this, and then the Malbim points out that it starts relatively innocuously. You're just walking in the marketplace, and then it just happens to be, you turn to the corner where she's sitting, and then you go to her house, and it gets worse. You start during the the beginning of the night when it's still sort of light a little bit outside and it's not anything so wrong about it. And then um, you go to her house and it's already closer to the night time and it's light night and dark time. Um, and then and there's a woman and he went to her house and she comes out to see him. And Shidzona, the Malbim says, She has a natural interest in this. This is a woman who just is very excited by these activities. In other words, she's not, in this sense, evil in the sense of looking to trip you up because she hates you or because she just enjoys seeing the other party uh, fall and be lowered. Rather, she enjoys the activity. And that's an important piece of, if we're going to transfer it to things like idol worship or things like heresy, or things like uh, wrongful forms of activity, and say all of this is what's included by Mishle in this whole discussion, then it's also worth paying attention to that idea. When somebody lures us to do what Judaism thinks of as evil and wrong and improper, is it that the people luring us or the social movements luring us see it that way as well? And the answer is no, at least here, for at least sometimes. She likes doing it. She's just trying to get you to join her, and the her here, again, remember, is could be just a form of social interaction, a form of social discussion, a way of thinking about the world, a way of thinking philosophically or scientifically of what it could, could be. It's what she sees as good and fun and enjoyable. She is interested in going out, and she doesn't want to stay where ordinary politeness, ordinary rules would place her. So, homiyahi the JPS has it as she's bustling and restive. She's never at home. And the Malbim says, She's just full of excitement and full of an interest in doing things that are not 
moderate actions, not calm actions. So her midot are restive, and he says she she often gets angry. She's uh, mercurial, I think we would call her, and 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 it's not only on her lips; it's it's she herself. It's inside of her, and she angers her husband, and then uh, and and the other people in her household. Then she's not modest, and she doesn't act modestly, and she can't uh, with with withhold herself from interacting in inappropriate ways with other people. Plus, you get bet. Uh, she goes out, she goes to other places, she goes where she shouldn't be. So the picture the Malbim is portraying is of a woman, and then obviously remember we need to transfer it to whatever the the object of the metaphor is, and it's Pasuk Yud, Rashi says, that it's, it's heretics as well, those who don't hold of Torah values and views and beliefs like we do, and they are looking to draw others in, but it's not draw others in because they want to hurt us or destroy us. It's because this is the kind of activity they enjoy. And this is the, what this woman in this image, she just can't be restricted to living a calm, moderate life, which takes account of both extremes on either side of the thing and finds the middle path that the Ramam speaks of, that Aristotle spoke of before him, but that we think of as a major model for how to live an appropriate an appropriate wise life is to recognize the urges on two extremes and to find the middle path between them. That's not what she's willing to do. And so her excitement, and you've got to put this into, you got to translate this not just to sexuality, translate this to excitement for scientific discovery. And so instead of taking it in a moderate fashion say, yes, there are many, many areas where science can do us the wonderful help of X, Y, and Z, but then there are areas where science has nothing either yet to say, or maybe will never have something to say, so that's the moderate version of it. That will be difficult for this Isha. She'll grab him and she'll kiss him and she'll be brazen in her approach to him. And again, you got to remember, it's not only the sexuality. She'll be brazen in her approach, meaning she'll try to grab hold of him. And the Radnalbim says, Step by step, level to level. First she'll just grab him and then she kisses him and then... And then she's trying to draw him in further and further into her way of the world just to enjoy it together. I have sacrifices to eat. Because today I paid up a ned there that I made. And so she is inviting him to join her in the meal to eat the besar shlamim. And then it's a simcha. Uh, it's a simcha shal mitzvah. And the radak, Rambim throws in at the end of his comment on this pasuk, a crucial key perspective that is often, often ignored. It's not always true that the invitation to join in a mitzvah is a good one, even if it's actually a mitzvah. And here in this case, for example, and this is an obvious example because a woman's not a woman who's allowed to you, but you need to transfer the metaphor, but she's inviting him to join her in eating shlamim. The problem is the point of eating the shlamim together will then begin to go off and do improper wrongful activities. The same can be said, and I would not, I could personally go on about this for a long time, but the same we said about many other mitzvah endeavors, when you'll, when I have in, on the past certainly pointed out and said, well that mitzvah endeavor seems to me to have X flaw and Y flaw and lead to X and Y inappropriate, unfortunate result, and I'm leaving out details because this is about the Malbim and about Mishle, and the response will be, how can you be opposed to it? It's a mitzvah. So I think this is a good example for me to say that I, what I hear in the Malbim when he says this is, the Malbim is pointing out that even though it's a mitzvah or that the Yetzirah tends to start with a mitzvah and that therefore that means that not every occasion of mitzvah is one that you should be joining because it might carry in it a trap that will then, the results of which will then be much worse than any mitzvah of eating shlamim might have been. 
So she says to him, "Can you say the kotecha l'shacher panecha va'emtzaeka?" And that's why I'm coming out to find you, to greet you, and that's I come out to you seeking you. And now I found you. Meaning, I came out to tell you, I've got a, uh, I've got a shlamim for us to eat together. And she, so she's that's what she says to him. So pasuk tet zayin ma'vadim ravadet ti arsi chatuvot etun mitzrayim. I have. Uh, decked my couch with covers of dyed Egyptian linen. I've prepared the house for you. It's all going to be beautiful there. And uh, and Rashi points out that at the end of the Sefer, which is where we know the word Mavardim from, it also uses the description of an Eshet Chayel, of a proper woman. So it's not the Mavardim themselves, it's not the beautiful furnishings that and the beautiful covers that we're objecting to, but it's the use that she's going to make it here. She's going to be using it to... Um, to encourage him, as the mob says, to sleep on those covers and to join her in that house in a place where he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be involving himself and he shouldn't be going in. Pasuk nafti mor and I have put my, I have sprinkled my bed with various spices, myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Um, right, and if you want to translate the metaphor, what you have to say is that then. The further in you go, the more pleasant it's been prepared. Is it the more pleasant it's been made, and that that's what she's trying to encourage him. This she's trying to encourage us to realize that it smells so good. So obviously you should go in, and the answer is obviously you shouldn't go in. And that's what the what Mishle is trying to urge us to recognize and to be able to recognize and to be able to resist. Pasuk Yud Chet Lechan Nirved Dodim Araboker Nitalsa. And now she says, now that she's gotten us this far, she's okay, so let's spend the night together. Let's enjoy each other's company in ways that are even, ever more inappropriate, ever more wrongful. And now she has to explain, and don't think you're going to get caught. That's always part of the equation. Because the man of the house uh, is not here, so you're not going to get caught by him. You don't have to pay attention to him. You don't have to worry about that. So Rashi says, the man is not home. Rashi has been taking this all along, not only about sexuality, but it's about heresy and idol worship. And look, God has removed his Shechina from the world. How do we know? Because he's giving good. And Rashi's time, remember Rashi living in the 1000s, the uh, mid to late 11th century, the time when Christianity is easily ascendant and Islam is easily ascendant Rashi means Christianity like we see in a Christian country and he thought of Christianity as idolatry as a form of idol worship his Christianity was Christianity that knew of the Trinity and Rashi was certainly of the opinion that Trinity is a form of idol worship and Hashem is giving them control of the world and that's the temptation that we're talking about so then now again if you want to transfer that, that means that Rashi is understanding it that the lure to convert to Christianity is what's being spoken of here, and that the attempts by Christians to get Jews to now the Christians who are doing it are they doing it because they hate Jews and they want to hurt Jews? In their minds, they like Christianity and they think it's the right way, and that's what they're trying to do. So that is what Rashi in the 11th century is talking about, and Malbim has it. Just he goes more straight, he more. Um, in the original metaphor, he just says, she's not afraid of him because she knows that he has gone on a trip. And we'd have to transfer that, but it would, that, that's the classic thing. If she's so, yeah, my husband's away on a trip, and therefore, you don't have to worry. And he took a lot of money with him, and he took a lot of merchandise with him, and therefore you don't have to think he's coming back so fast because he's going to come back at a certain specific time, and that is one of the ways that a woman would do such a thing. 
Pasuk Chav in Rashi points out though, what is the Troy Because Rashi already transferred us into the world of Christianity and idol worship and all those things ruling the world. He says, He has killed the best of the Jewish people. He's going to return them to us at a certain specific time, which is which is the time of making resurrection of the dead. It's off in the future. So that's what Rashi is saying. That we, Rashi, I think, seems to be indicating that he doesn't know that Mashiach is coming right around the corner. We often speak of the idea, especially because the Rabbin said it, that I believe Mashiach can come at any time. And certainly I believe that. But the question is whether Rashi felt that you had to articulate it in that way. In this passage, at least, Rashi seems to be saying that you can see that Hashem has no immediate plans to redeem the Jewish people. And uh, and it's, uh, there's a Mo'ed Kavua, and that would be part of the lure to Christianity, part of the lure to this apikorsa, to this idol worship, to this heresy. When she moves him, this wo- this woman in, with her lures moves him with her mouth. She turns him aside from what he had intended to do. She sways him with her eloquence, turns him aside with her smooth talk. And um, and Rashi says on what does it mean, Berov uh, Rashi says it's that she is very accustomed to speak this way to people, which perhaps has an element of it that in Rashi's time there were many Christians trying to work very hard to convince many Jews to convert to Christianity. There were a lot of disputations. There was a lot of just discussion about the Bible and what the Bible meant and what the Tanakh meant. And so Rashi is saying that they are practiced at the art of trying to use biblical text, but Tanakh to lure Jews and convince Jews they should convert with her smooth talk. The Malbim says, and she sees that at the beginning he doesn't listen to her, so she keeps going. And she keeps trying and she keeps working at it until he will pay attention to her, until he will uh, listen to her and follow her. Suggesting that the Malbim is saying that you shouldn't think that just because you resist any of these approaches the first time or the second time, don't think that, that means that you're safe from it because part of their desire, their interest and having people join them will mean that they will continue working at it. And if you follow her, pitom, we'll come to that word in a second of the Malbim, but if you follow her, somebody who follows her will turn out to be like a sword, like a, an ox to the slaughter. And like an eches el musar evil, Rashi says eches is the poison of a snake to a, which comes to eventually re, uh, remonstrate or admonish Rashi says, That like a snake comes to bite somebody who is deserving of punishment by God, Hashem sends the snake to administer the appropriate punishment. That's what happened to this Evil as well who runs after her until the point that he, um, until the point that he is snared by her and he falls lured to her wares, to her approaches. They that person will eventually find a snake uh, biting him and giving him the proper punishment. Now the Radak and Holecha Arab Pitom uh, notes the word Pitom and he says, Why does the Pitom? He says, Once you get swayed, once you get moved out of your original perspective, and you'll start suddenly going. Why does it say suddenly going? Because if you would wait and think and consider your actions and what you're doing, you wouldn't do it. You would understand the mistake and the error and you wouldn't do it. But what happens is you do it suddenly, and and uh, and your heart will bother you, and you go originally, he says, like an ox being brought to the slaughter, but then because you don't want to go, so since you're only going suddenly and only in the 
clutches of your lesser inclinations, you don't want to go. And then, but you will go, and then eventually you'll go willingly and wantingly, even though you're going to get punished for it, and that's what's going to happen here as well. So, so the Malbim is painting a picture of somebody who gives in suddenly because they can't resist anymore, but over time, if they keep doing it, and so originally when they do it, it's like they're forced into it because they really just couldn't resist, but after, after a while, it becomes it becomes part of you and part of your nature. And it's like until the arrow pierces his liver, you're like a bird rushing into a trap, not knowing his life is at stake. You develop this uh, desire for it, and the arrows, the Malbim says the arrows of desire take take hold over you, and that's why it's kvedo, his liver, because the liver was seen as the seat of desires, and it will boil your blood, meaning it will give you great inclination, great interest in doing these kinds of things, and it will take over you, and you won't be able to remember or hold on to the fact that you're really losing your soul over this. And now some of my children listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Uh, the Radak, the Mom, sorry, the Malbim says, originally it's Shimu. What does Shimu mean? It means listen, pay attention, and understand it to notice that I'm right. And then the later part of the passage is Hakshivu. is just listen and just follow what I say. In other words, the Malbim says, the Malbim seems to be saying that it's not that after a while you come to understand that I'm right and you come to and you weigh what I'm saying and you follow me because I'm saying the right thing. It should be the first time you listen to somebody, it's because you pay attention and you listen and you check them out. But after a while, it should be that you just follow what they say because you know that they're right. So that's an interesting perspective of, let's say, of a Rebbe Talmud relationship. Maybe when you're first developing a Rebbe, they might, at that point, they're probably much, much greater than you anyway. But it may be nonetheless that you'll weigh what they had to say to see if it makes sense to you. And if after a while what they say makes sense to you, then you will tend to follow what they say because they make sense to you. But at some point, the Malbim seems to be suggesting it should go beyond that. And once they say it, you just listen and you don't even bother paying attention to why because you know it. If the Malbim meant that, it might be part of his perspective on Nasev and Ishma. We always make a big deal about Nasev and Ishma that the Jews said, we'll do and we'll listen. Maybe the Malbim would tell you that that was partially because the Jews had heard Hashem speak throughout the time through Moshe Rabbeinu, throughout the time they were having the exodus. And maybe originally they didn't trust, they didn't trust, they didn't trust. But by the time they get to Harsinai, it was a proper and appropriate for them to say, this is just, I'm just guessing, but it would be proper and appropriate for them to say, now 70 people will do it. We don't have to understand it yet because we already know and trust. And that's part of what he understands of this Pasuk in Pasuk of Dalit. Pasuk of Hey Al Yeist. Don't even go anywhere near her ways or her nitivot, her smaller paths. The Malbim, following something we've seen before in the Vilna Gaon, thinks of derech as the broad public route, roads, and nitivot or orachim, but here it's a nitivot as a small private road. And he says that it's not only you can't go on her public roads, meaning to actually, in the metaphor, have snoot with her in the transferring it back to uh, heretical ideas, that you can't adopt to heretical ideas. But more than that, it's that you can't even go into nativ uh, katan or small ways. And the Malbim says, for example, like to go to the doorway of her snut and to then control yourself and not fall into it. So if you transfer that, the Malbim would be suggesting that it might be that you're supposed to be saying, I'm not even going to follow her ways as far as to learn you know, with some heretical ideas, thinking, but I'll resist them. 
I'll learn the radical ideas, but I won't pay attention to them. He's saying you shouldn't be doing that. That's puzzle Kafe, let you might not wander down her ways, do not stray onto her paths. And he's saying paths is even the lesser parts that aren't the full heresy, even that you shouldn't be doing. Because many are those she has struck dead, numerous are her victims, meaning you can't trust yourself and you can't know that you won't be lured into that. Uh, and that's why you can't do is you can't trust the mom who says you can't trust your righteousness, that you won't sin with her, and that you won't and don't go to her small path because the people that she kills were also heroes in Torah and in Yira, he says. And nonetheless they were not able to resist. And therefore you can't get close to her at all, as it says above. So the mom doesn't specify and he's living in the late 1800s and early 1900s, a time when biblical criticism was certainly rampant. It was certainly an issue that he dealt with because that's part of what his Tanakh commentary is all about, is trying to suggest different meanings for different pieces that you might have thought repetitious and other problems with that. It maybe that's what he meant. But what he is arguing, and this is not a, a model that uh, today many of us don't follow this model, and the question would be to think about why and when and it's appropriate, but he is saying you can't even go part way down her paths, and this is the model really that many of what I might call today the more right-wing world will try to suggest. It doesn't quite work even for them, and I don't want to get into those kinds of discussions, but the Malbib is saying that there are certain forms of heresy and certain forms of lures and attractions that one shouldn't even go into at all because of the danger involved in them. Difficult, complicated topic, but that's what he, that's how he's understanding it here. It's certainly true that Mishle, Mishle is saying something along those lines, at least about the Shazona, at least about, I think, at least about sexuality. It could be also true about idol worship. So in idol worship, if you're going to learn any pieces of idol worship with anything in mind other than, uh, you know, the halachos where members of the Sanhedrin have to know idol worship so they can prosecute people. But anything other than that in mind, if you're going to really follow their assumptions and accept their assumptions in any way whatsoever, even if they're not fully idolatrous assumptions, so that would be a significant problem. That would be maybe, perhaps an example of that would be if um, somebody is going to adopt, you know, a Buddhist form of worship and just accept the worship part of it, even though not the not any of the parts that we might think of as idolatrous. And so we would follow that in its fullest Buddhist sense, rather than saying, you know, they have interesting practice, which I think is a general human practice. And I'm not taking any of their thought perspective underlying it and their underlying their view of the world. I'm just taking that piece. So maybe that is the kind of an example where it gets very complicated, very, very difficult, because it's certainly true that in Mishle, we're saying that there are some of these things, at the very least, that are so dangerous, you can't even go to her doorway and then stop yourself there. Because her doorway... Is the opening to Sha'ol, Malbim says Sha'ol is a, Sha'ol in Tanakh is, is a word for the underworld, for the netherworld, meaning like, uh, Gehenim. But he says here it's a deep, deep pit. And the point is that you can fall in there before you die. And what it's saying is that even if you go by her house, you're already on the path to be falling into this deep pit. And it's gonna lead you in that way, as you've said until now. So those are the kinds of warnings that this parak seems to focus on, and that is the way the Malbim understood these kinds of issues. Have a great day.